Welcome to the sermon podcast for New Life Church's Cabot Campus. We are located at 3400 West Main Street in Cabot, Arkansas. Our service times are Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. To find more information about what we believe, upcoming events, and more, please visit newlifechurch.tv or you can text the word Cabot to 88000. We are wrapping up this series, Jonah chapter four. It's four chapters. We've been in it. Uh, we took a week off to talk about some vision, but, but we're finishing it up today. And I will say that the way that this book wraps up is not the most encouraging way. Uh, we're raising kids throughout the course of their life. We had kids' books, kids' stories. And most of those stories, you know, you read them to them when they're going to bed at night. You want them to have some security and some peace. And so, so many of those books, either the theme or literally how they finished was, and they live happily ever after, right? Because we like that. That feels good. We want to tie it up in a pretty bow and, and be done with it. Uh, but how many of y'all know that's not how it always works out? That's not how life always works. There are times when things don't end the way that we would like them to end. Some things have bad endings. Sports, there's plenty of, of examples. Let me talk about one for a second. This is the worst ending in sports in sports history. 2013, game six of the NBA Finals, the Spurs, the greatest sports team that has ever existed on the planet of Earth, were up. Three to two in the series. Shot clock is off. The Heat are down by three. They come down the court. LeBron James puts up a brick from three point because he's not a closer. Chris Bosh jumps over the back of two Spurs players, fouling them to grab the rebound. Passes it out to Ray Allen. Ray Allen rises up, shoots, hits the three with 5.2 seconds left. They extend it into overtime. Heat wins in overtime. Heat takes it to game seven. The Heat win the national championship, the worst ending in sports, right there, right there. But it doesn't just happen in sports, it happens in movies too. And we can all think of lots of cases <laughs> where they have messed up the ending Horribly, because clearly there was room for Jack. <laughs> there was room for Jack. This was not love, it was manslaughter. <laughs> Lots of examples of things that have not ended the way they should have. And on a more serious note, there's plenty of things in life that don't end the way that we thought that they would. And there are some of us that are sitting here right now wrestling with the pain and the agony of things that have not ended like we wanted them to. Whether that was the life of a loved one, a marriage, a dream, a business, a career, things don't always end the way that we would like them to. And so how do we deal with that? Well, the story of Jonah does not end great. In fact, it's pretty much a bitter ending. It actually ends with a question. How many of you married people have ever went to bed with an unsettled argument before? It's rhetorical. Please don't raise your hands, okay? <laughs> Ma'am, you definitely didn't need to raise both hands. That was a little awkward for everyone. 
But at this point, Jonah is full of the most worthless emotion that your soul has the capacity to carry. It is the emotion of resentment. And it's been festering for three chapters. It's always been there. But here's why resentment is festering. It's because he's off spiritually and he's got hate that is beginning to grow in his heart. So our main text, the last chapter, we're gonna read the full chapter. It's 11 verses, starting in verse one. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. What was wrong? The fact that God was gonna have grace on an entire city of an entire people group that were some of the most brutal, violent, sinful people that existed on planet earth. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to foretell by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity, and he's ticked about all of that. Now, Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed at the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. The sun blazed on Jonah's head so that it so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I am so angry. I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh in which there were more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many animals. I think it's worth noting that animals and animals are named at a couple different points in the story that even God wanted to have grace for and cats are not mentioned. (laughs) I think that's worth noting. Can you feel the resentment in Jonah? Can you feel that? Here's the fact that you've got to see that clearly Jonah can't see at this point. Anytime you harbor resentment, you are hurting yourself far more than the person or the people that you're resentful towards. And he has so much resentment towards these people. And now that resentment is turned towards God. Why? Because he didn't want Nineveh to get right with God. He wanted them to be destroyed, but now that they're right, he is so wrong. He's the only preacher in history to preach a revival 
See, hundreds of thousands of people get saved and be the one that needed pastoral follow-up when it was all said and done because his heart was not right. But what does resentment towards God look like? Let's talk about some of the fruits of resentment. First of all, frustration and complaining. Even with all the miracles that had happened to Jonah, and some of them we didn't even talk about throughout the course of this series, he is still complaining. But the fact is, even at a young age, he was healed as a child. But in the story, saved from a storm, saved from drowning, saved from the great fish or well, and you would think with all the grace and miracles that God had provided to try to rescue him and get him on track, that he would be the most thankful person that ever lived on the face of the earth. But he is still unpleased, ungrateful, complaining. The fact is, all the miracles that can happen for you pale in comparison to the miracle that must happen in you. God must give you a new heart, a new spirit, a new soul. But Jonah is a complainer. It reminds me a little bit of a guy named Ed and his neighbor. God, or Ed had a neighbor who complained and was unpleased with everything. It didn't matter how good of a neighbor Ed was. If Ed mowed his yard, the neighbor would complain that he didn't edge the sidewalk correctly. After Ed would put his trash cans out at the street to get the trash picked up, the neighbor would complain that the trash cans stayed out too long or weren't put back in the right spot. If Ed ever had his life group over, well, his neighbor would absolutely lose it because they would never park in the right spots. One tire creeped onto his grass by six millimeters. Ed's neighbor was unpleased, unhappy, and just liked to complain. So Ed's wife had an idea. You need to take our neighbor duck hunting because I know if you will take our neighbor duck hunting, he will see our dog spot and he will be pleased at what Spot can do because Spot was not just some ordinary hunting dog. Ed had taught his wonder dog Spot to walk on water. And he knew that if his neighbor could see a dog, a dog walk on water, that surely he would be pleased and there would be some amount of amazement that would come out of him. So he took him duck hunting within a short amount of time. Ed had called in some ducks, dropped two right out in the water right in front of him and sent Spot to retrieve the first. Spot jumped out of the boat, walked across the top of the water, picked up the duck, brought it back to the boat, turned right around, walked on top of the water, went and retrieved the other duck, brought it back to the boat, jumped in the boat. Ed looked towards his neighbor with anticipation that he would be pleased and amazed. And his neighbor simply shook his head and said, that dumb dog doesn't even know how to swim. And the point of the story is you just can't please some people. Some people, it is inherent in their nature. They're gonna be ungrateful, unpleased. I think it is a drastic, sorrowful disconnect between who God is in his goodness and the revelation of that goodness. But certainly this is where Jonah is at this point. Unpleasable. And that leads to anger. Three times in this chapter, the Bible talks about Jonah's anger, but the Hebrew word suggests he lost it. Have any of you ever lost it when you've been angry? 
Have you just lost it? Like you knew, like you, you lost it enough that you knew that there was a good chance you might have lost your witness with someone. They may not be interested in hearing about Jesus after the way you lost it. Or maybe you lost it so bad, you felt compelled. You wanna go back and apologize to everybody that witnessed it. But you realize there were 400 people at the ballpark that day. They all saw it and you can't apologize to all of them. That happened in Jonah. The word says you can be angry, but do not sin. Let's just be honest though, it's pretty difficult to keep anger at a point of righteousness, to keep anger justified and driven by the right motive. Jonah certainly didn't have the right motive. The problem is that when you are angry and you lose it, it can give a foothold for the enemy to come in. The thing is though, these emotions are not random, they're sequential. And what happens is Jonah swallows his anger and then there's this progression. It goes like this. Swallowing his anger goes to self-pity. He turns in and hyper-focused on his own circumstances, his own feelings. And I think ultimately he's worried about his own reputation. Those are the things that he's focused on. He becomes a victim. He is boiling on the inside and then that leads to depression and isolation. You know, you can be all alone and in the most populated city on the planet, which is exactly what happened to Jonah. Why? Because sometimes depression is really just frozen anger. It is anger that you have swallowed and didn't process correctly, and so it's turned into depression. And Jonah takes that depression and does something lethal with it. He isolates himself. Isolation can be good and can be healthy when it's solitude. And solitude is where you intentionally withdraw, not to just be alone, but so that you can be alone with God and that can actually restore you, build you back up, make you healthy again. But that's not what Jonah is doing here. He's got the isolation that says, go away from me, just get away. If you have kids and you're raising kids at one point or not another, they're going to get mad. And there is a chance that they will run to this kind of isolation and they may go into their room, but don't let them sit in there too long with that door closed because when they have that closed door kind of isolation, it'll just be them and the lies of the devil and they will begin to believe those lies. Jonah is living with that closed door kind of isolation at this point. And it's that kind of isolation where you will begin to miss the whispers of God and only be able to hear the shouts of the lie of the devil. And we can't allow ourselves or the people we love to stay in that place. When you get mad and you get alone, what happens is you will begin to formulate plans that are destructive. That happens in all of us. All of us, if we've ever gotten mad at somebody, how many of y'all know when you turn inward, you start thinking about all the ways that you'd like to get back or you'd like to show them? I've used this example more times than I care to admit. It happens all the time when I'm driving. Somebody does something you don't like, somebody makes a mistake driving and immediately you begin to formulate all the things you would do and say if you could pull them over right now and let them know exactly how you feel. At that point, you 
in your own brain sound like the smartest person that's ever lived. All the things I would do, the thing, oh man, it would be. Some of y'all, by the grace of God, you've probably typed out those kinds of responses on social media, but hopefully also by the grace of God, you hit delete and didn't send them. But all of us have come up with those destructive plans when we get isolated and have a just go away, close the door, leave me alone. And that can ultimately lead to suicidal thoughts. But I wanna expound on the idea because at this point, he's just saying, I'd rather die, just take me now. But you get to this point and you may be thinking about killing yourself, but you also may think about killing your marriage or you may kill your career or you may kill your kingdom influence. And I specify that because you can have influence that has nothing to do with the kingdom and it will end the day that Jesus returns. Or you can have kingdom influence that's building something that's eternal. And when you get to this place, you can kill that influence or you can kill your kingdom ministry. The things that, where you're sowing seeds that can produce fruit that will last because of souls for eternity. Or you can kill your calling in those spots. So suicide can also be about killing other things other than just your physical life. So some things to remember when life doesn't go your way. We can see clearly that Jonah paved a road and you can take that road. Or you can understand that Jesus paved a road as well. And you can take that road. I think one thing that's important to understand is God sees what I can't see. God sees what I can't see. See, God can see the past, present, and future all simultaneously. God is outside of time. He can see full time. It's almost like time is linear to him. And so he can see it all. He's outside of it. So what that means is he has the ultimate 30,000 foot view of any situation or circumstance that you've ever been in. And in my life, what happens is I'll get down in the weeds of life. Growing up in Colorado, in the mountains, you can get lost. But I've found living down here in the South, it's actually way easier for me to get lost in the woods in the South than it ever was for me to get lost in the woods in Colorado. Because in Colorado, you have landmarks that are fairly predominant. They're called mountains. And it helps you get a sense of direction. Here, you don't have that. There's not as many landmarks. But what you also have is undergrowth and briars and all this stuff. And if you're ever gonna get off a trail and try to orientate, you're going to have to go through all of that stuff. And what I've noticed is it's really get easy to get lost when you're completely fixated on the briars and the weeds and the things that are growing up that are trying to ensnare you and entangle you. That is the culture that we live in. And it is very easy to get completely consumed in the weeds in the briars of politics, of all these other things. I would suggest this. If you're turning on the news in the morning before you are turning on the word of God, you are out of balance. And you are getting in the weeds. At one point or another, you're gonna have to lift up your eyes and get perspective. Otherwise, you'll stay lost. You'll stay lost. 
this is why we have to trust. Because I can easily miss what God easily sees. It's all about perspective. What does God see here? But the Lord God said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not concern, have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. So what does God see? It says 120,000 people, but we know for sure that Nineveh had around 600,000 people in population. That's according to ancient history and archaeology. So who are the 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left? God is trying to give Jonah perspective because what he's saying is, you walked through the city, you preached the word, but not completely what I told you to, but the way you wanted to because you didn't want to, but I still used it. But while you were walking through, what you didn't see was was that there was 120,000 kids in that city and they are innocent. They didn't choose to live this life. They didn't ask to be born in this city. They aren't old enough to make moral decisions. They are innocent. Don't I have the right to defend the innocent? You ever see good things happen to sorry people? Maybe God is loving on the kid or the innocence that maybe you don't see in front of you. As a church, I'm thankful that we have opportunities all the time to help people in need with food, their bills, gas, different things like that. But the truth be told, there's a lot of times where it's really obvious that honestly, those people really don't deserve that help. But a lot of times, the reason why we help them is because we know that there's a kid in a car seat somewhere. And that kid didn't pick their parents. They didn't pick that situation. And so we're gonna do what we can. It wasn't the kid's choice that their parent continues to find themselves in thinking errors and cycles that are unhealthy and destructive. It's not the kid's fault. Ultimately, we would love if those parents would give us the opportunity to help them begin to peel the layers and unpack the luggage that they've been carrying around for so long so they can actually get healed and healthy and find a place where they can find success again. But a lot of times, we're fighting for innocence. We're fighting for the kids that didn't pick that. The point is this. We can't always see what God is doing. We don't always have the perspective. But that's why we can lean with so much confidence and so much boldness onto verses like Romans 8.28 that says, or I know that in all things, in all things, the things that suck, the things that are hard, the things that seem to be good and then they went horribly wrong, that in all all things he works together for good. What's the qualifier? For those who love him and are walking according to his purposes. Man, there's some confidence in that that you can have. You have to meet the qualifiers. 
Because a lot of times people are like, well, I believe in God. So does Satan. There's a difference between believing in God and having a personal relationship with him through his son, Jesus. But if you love him and understand that he loves you, and though, though you may not be perfect, and none of us are, you're doing everything you can to walk out the purposes let, laid out in his word, you can know with full confidence at one point or another, not in your timing, not according to your design, or your idea of the best outcome, but in his timing and in his way, he will work it for good. Take it to the bank every time. And there's been so many details that have emerged after these difficult seasons. And so many of us had that testimony of, oh, that's what was going on the whole time. Also, God will challenge my comfort zone. Going back to verse five, Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter. Apparently doesn't know how to make very good shelters. He sat in it for its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant, but at dawn, God, the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. You see, in life, God does provide great things like a great well or great fish, but he also provides small things like a little worm to try to redirect our life back into his purposes. God arranges something small sometimes to eat away at what's been giving you comfort because he doesn't want you to stay where you've been because he's always way more infinitely concerned with your character than he's ever concerned about your comfort. By the way, that's the way we need to parent as well. He wants you to move. He wants you to get going. He doesn't want you sitting on a hill somewhere under the shade for the rest of your life. So sometimes he'll arrange something, something even small like a worm that'll eat away at your comfort because all of a sudden it's not comfortable anymore and you're back out under the hot sun, and it's time to move. And when your comfort has been eaten away, that's when you can know it's time to say, God, where do you want me to go? God, what do you want me to do? What move are you wanting me to make? And sometimes it's a spiritual move. And sometimes it's a relational move, a ministry move, a financial move, a physical move. But you can know that it's time to move. And the last thing, Jesus is the better Jonah. When you read through the story, you can see this obvious gap between Jonah and God. They're not on the same page. And that's why we are so blessed that we get to live our lives in light of Jesus and with his spirit because he bridges the gap. Jesus makes up the difference. 
Jesus was our perfect sacrifice, our perfect substitute. He lived a sinless life and he took our place so that we could live before God without the gap that we can see in the story. Another way to say it is the life that he lived qualified him for the death that he died and the death that he died qualifies me for the life that he's called me and created me to live. Jesus is a better Jonah. Some comparisons. Jonah traveled from Israel to Nineveh. Jesus traveled from heaven to earth. Jonah traveled unwillingly. Jesus traveled willingly. Jonah came out of the fish, and while he was in the fish, he used the word sheol, which is the same word for hell. Jesus went to hell, took the gates to hell, and came out of the grave. Jonah came with a word from God. Jesus came as the word of God. Jonah saw a revival in a city and a nation, but Jesus sees revival for every generation, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and he wants it to start in you. When Jonah saw a king get off his throne and repent, Jesus was the king of kings who got off his throne and gave us a chance so we can repent. In so many ways, that is the purpose of the story of Jonah. It was like the anti-Jesus. Jesus can close the gap. And the great thing is what Jesus did on the cross, in the grave and raising from it, yes, ultimately defeating death, defeating sin. But the great thing is he didn't just come to do that and leave us alone. He gave us his spirit. He gave us his Holy Spirit. Without a doubt, this story would look different if Jonah had had even just the smallest understanding or revelation of what a relationship with his Holy Spirit could look like. That is the gap that is filled. It's filled by the person, the power of his Holy Spirit. And that is what is available to every single one of us. It is a choice. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. In the word, Jesus tells a story, a parable that a lot of us at least have heard in part called the prodigal son. In this story, two sons. The younger decides that he wants to go and do his own thing and asks for his portion of the inheritance and goes and squanders it and lives a sinful lifestyle. Ultimately returns and his father gives him another chance. And that is a picture of how Jonah was at the beginning of this story. Like that son that had wandered off, but God gave him another chance, another opportunity. But that story is a story of two sons and really the focus is much more on the son that stayed home, the older son. Because the older son, when the younger son had returned and had been given grace and had been restored and, and not just partially restored, but fully restored, the older son became resentful, indignant, bitter because he didn't feel like his brother deserved that. And that's who Jonah became in chapter four. He becomes a resentful, indignant brother. And almost all of us can fit into one of those categories. The category of understanding the grace, the forgiveness and the love that's been extended to you because of Jesus. 
And because you've tasted and seen that he's good and because you've experienced that grace and that love, you can't contain it. And it's evident. But there might also be some of us that are more like the older brother, the Jonah of chapter four, where because of our sense of justice, because of our intellect, because of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we're not walking in grace towards the lost, the hurting, the broken. In fact, it almost makes us angry that people like that are experiencing any kind of good or success. Either one of them, either one of those sons, they have to experience the same grace, the same father. But there might be some of you that you can identify with being someone who has run away from God. And it may be that you didn't even necessarily understand it. You couldn't quantify it, maybe even until this moment, but right now you can sense the spirit of the living God speaking to your heart. It may be that you know that he's been speaking to you for a while. He's been beckoning you and trying to get you to return to him. It may have been just in the last few days that you've sensed that. It may be right here in this moment. The fact is you have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to have a personal, real relationship. Yes, with the creator of the universe, but with your heavenly father who loves you, has good things for you, has a plan and a purpose, callings, giftings. The word says that if you will believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, that if you will believe that and admit that you need it, then you can be saved. And so I wanna give that opportunity for anybody in this room that you know right now, there's a gap. There's a huge gap. That's the way you perceive it. The truth is from God's perspective, that gap is a moment. It's one small choice of you moving towards him and that full gap is filled. It's filled with the sacrifice of the cross, Jesus. And if you're here and you know you need that gap filled and you're willing to admit it, you're willing to confess, I need the sacrifice of Jesus. I want you to put your hand up right now across this room. As soon as I see you, you can put your hand down. Got you. Yes, 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 yes. Got it. Yes, sir. Right here in the middle. Yes. Yes, sir. Thank you. Got you. Thank you. 
Thank you. Anyone else? I need to call on Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yes, sir. Don't forget, Christians, we're praying right now. Don't forget the moment you made the decision. Don't forget it's eternity. We know that you raising your hand is not what gets you saved, but what you did is you just confessed you need Jesus. That movement, that decision, every person that raised your hand, you already know this. As soon as you did that, man, you felt God's grace meet you right where you're at. And so if anybody else is wrestling with it, that's all it is. That's all we want for you. That's all God wants for you. Is there anyone else? Okay. Anyone else? I need to surrender to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. All right. Father God, thank you so much for being here, for meeting with us. And I thank you right now, every person that raised their hand, might've been a couple who did it, but in their heart, Lord, they know they need this. They're leaning towards you. That's what you can see. But Lord, I, I thank you that whatever the story, whatever the testimony, whatever it's meant to this point, you're just so glad that they're making the decision now, right now in this moment. I just want you, if you raise your hand, I want you just to repeat a prayer and say something like this, say, Jesus, I need you. I recognize that my sin separates me from you. But I believe that Jesus came, he paid the price for my sin. Right now, I ask for your forgiveness. I also believe that Jesus rose from the grave. And when he did that, he defeated death and he defeated my sin. I thank you for the hope of heaven. I thank you for the life you've given me now. And I wanna live that life for you. So I turn towards you. I'll walk out repentance every day. I'll choose every day to turn towards you. I know I'm not perfect, but I lean on your love. I lean on your grace. I lean on the standard of your word. I lean on the power of your Holy Spirit. And I lean on the strength of the body of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Father, I pray that you would just help all of us to wake up every day and ask you to give us spiritual eyes to see, spiritual ears to hear. God, help us stay out of the weeds. God, your word says that we can mount up with on wings like eagles. God, we need to see things from your perspective. And we know that you give us that opportunity we know that a big part of that is walking in step with your spirit. 
We know, Lord, that your word says that we should seek earnestly after the Holy Spirit. God, that we should seek earnestly even after his gifts. And God, I pray that we would be a church that as we wake up and as we pursue you every day, that we would earnestly seek more of who you are, more of who you are. And that most importantly, the evidence of that would be your character, Holy Spirit, the fruit of who you are. And that through that fruit, we would be salt and light. That we'd be the kind of people that people don't have to question whether or not we're believers. It's just obvious that there's something different about us and it would make an impact. We thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.